Well, hello everybody. Joe McCall here from realestateinvestingmastery.com. Alex is not uh, going to be able to join me today. He's flying with his family on vacation uh, somewhere close to the ocean. So I hope he's having a good time. Not. I'm jealous. <laughs> I wish I was. A... Sean, are you at the beach? You're in San Diego right now, aren't you? No, no. Actually, I'm in Phoenix right now. We're leaving. I leave on Saturday out. I'm going to be there for a week. Um, and then I come back. My kids got a uh, recital for their dance stuff. And then I go out back right before July 4th. I go out for the month of uh, about a month and a half. Cool. So, so you guys are wondering who that guy is there on the phone on the <laughs> other line. That's Sean Terry. Um, uh, he's my uh, guest today. I'm real excited about Sean. Uh, I've known him for a few months now, um, boy, coming on six to eight months maybe. And uh, I found his podcast. I fell in love with his enthusiasm and passion for the business. And um, it, this business is is such um, a great business to be in. And Sean has found the um, the freedom that real estate can give. He has an incredible story. He's done tons of deals, way more than Alex and I have ever done. And um, He's got an awesome Flip 2 Freedom Academy and a podcast called Flip 2 Freedom, the number two. And um, Sean was one of the ones who encouraged me to do a podcast of my own, and that's kind of what we're doing here. Um, And I think, I don't know, I almost was going to say, I think our podcast will be better than uh, Sean's, but I probably shouldn't (laughs) say that while I got Sean on the line. But uh, Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing awesome. Well, I mean, if you just keep up doing what you're doing and uh, with your blog at Wholesaling Lease Options and, and keep putting out unbelievable content and, and all your good information, then um, I'm sure we'll be uh, some friendly competition for neck and neck of uh, who can get the most downloads. <laughs> well, you got I got a ways to go. But Sean, guys, I'm sure all of you have already found Sean Terry's podcast, but if not, go look for Flip 2 Freedom. Um, and you'll find it there. Just just go to iTunes and do a search for real estate investing, and you'll see him there, and subscribe. Um, and uh, as I always say in our podcast, go to our website realestateinvestingmastery.com, and we got some incredible free bonuses there that show you how you can make fast cash into this market. Uh, we don't hold anything back. We give you about three four hours worth of video content um, of what we're doing in this business in this market today to make good money and some strategies that you can think about and consider to use in your own business. Um, so I wanted to bring Sean on. He's been involved in real estate for a long time. I'm going to guess six or seven years. Is that right, Sean? Yeah, 2003 when I started actually um, wholesaling houses when I first um, found the concept of it. But yeah, about 2003. All right, so um, tell the story. You were driving in the car and you heard somebody <laughs> on the radio. Well, I uh, basically what what happened is I was uh, stuck in the rut, stuck in a job, stuck, you know, working the whole, you know, nine to five thing, working for a boss that was completely unappreciative. Um, You know, I would wake up super early. I would go to work and I would, you know, work at this mundane job where you just want to beat your head against the wall just because there was no enthusiasm, no excitement, no passion. I was literally like, you know, just putting in the time 
to get a paycheck, you know. So, you know, I, I was stuck in this, you know, of, of this place. And you almost get in your life at, at some point where you're kind of almost lost. You're like, you know, you know you don't want to be there, but you know there's more for you. Um, but you just don't know what that more for you is. You know, you just haven't found it. So you're, you're, you're kind of like a, you know, a, a ship in the ocean, you know, without a sail. And you're just or, – or with a sail. And you're just letting the wind kind of take you, you know, wherever it's going to take you. So, I, you know, I was in that place where I was just completely, you know, you know, frustrated and, you know, um, dissatisfied because one, you know, no matter how hard I, hard I worked, I made, you know, X that same mm-hmm. amount of income. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, uh, and, and I, I got to the point to where it just, it just got where, you know, I wouldn't see my family. I'd go to work early. I'd work all day. I'd get home at night. I'd be completely exhausted and I wouldn't have any, any energy to, you know, do anything with the kids or the family, anything. And, and then for weekends, man, I lived for the weekends, you know, and, and waking up and Saturday would be the day where I could go spend time with the family. I could go out and, you know, do things or do whatever. And Sunday would come around and, you know, and, and we'd go to church in the morning and by the time we'd have lunch and then it would become that dusk time, you know, on those Sunday evenings. And that dust time would give me that sick feeling in my stomach because I knew I had to go to work, you know, Monday morning and I'd have to start the whole grind again. And the worst thing off is this, is getting two weeks off a year. So you get two weeks off, you know, and then you almost feel guilty about it. So you got this two weeks off to, you know, to basically, you know, get away and escape. But the problem is, is that you're so wound up, yeah. you know, from the other 50 weeks and, you know, that you're working that, you know, that it's very difficult. And by the time you unwind, it's it's uh, it's time to get right back in it again. And it's not enough time to rejuvenate. So so what happened was I was um, I was searching. And well, I think where, that's like, Sean, where were you working at the time? Well, I was working um, for it was it was like it was a it was a pool and landscape company. So yeah. I was I was working for them, and and it was kind of like my own deal. But I was I was doing it to where I the, I mean the guy would literally call me at like five thirty in the morning, and and we'd have to go work jobs, and I was just hustling, and and you know no matter what I did and how I did it, um, it just didn't you know couldn't satisfy and please anybody you know at, at all. So um, I was kind of like stuck in in, in that whole type of rut but um but one saturday i had to actually go on an appointment you know on this particular saturday and i was wasn't too happy about it and i went out and i um um, was driving in my car and, and, and I, what I was saying was is that you know I think the first step of, of anything um, is actually being able to, to, to realize that you want to search for something you're searching for something and I think that's why Google's so successful is because it gives you a little bar and you can search but you know but in life you're, you're, you're searching for something better and uh, you may have tripped across this podcast and you might be listening to, uh, to Joe and what he offers and stuff like that and you know but, but you're searching for possible an answer or a way out or a way of what you're doing and and that's what kind of I was doing and my wife suggested that I should look into real estate and uh, and uh, you know I sky carded you know starting you know looking at becoming a real estate agent and should I you know should I go that path and get my real estate license or should I you know do something different well um, this particular Saturday I actually had to go on a sales call um, for a job that we uh, that we uh, were gonna do some bids on and stuff like that so I was driving in my car um, and I was driving down the freeway, and I was usually flip through the channels. I'm looking for college game day or some sort of sports or something I can listen to, you know, uh, that's uh, you know your 
talk radio or something that was interesting. Well, I was flipping through the channel. I heard this guy talking about how you could make um, you know money by flipping houses. You could make a fortune by flipping houses. And you know, and I didn't understand what flipping houses was. I didn't understand what quick turning real estate was. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't understand that whole concept. And he talked about how you could you know you, you could basically you know with no cash invested, with no ever no one ever having your credit pulled, no one asking for your social security number, that you could literally flip a house by getting a, a, a contract from a seller and then getting a contract from a buyer and, and doing this special transaction and you could turn around and, and you can make the spread in between. And he was having examples of people that were making $3,000, you know, $20,000 per transaction. And I think at that particular point, because I'm from the East Coast, so I was born and raised in Vermont, and, uh, and I, you had that whole East Coast mentality that you that, that for me, I questioned everything and I was skeptical about everything. And, and I was the guy that would be your, you know, I would try to find the, um, the, the, the negative in it because I would be the, you know, what do they call those guys that are naysayers you know, or yeah yeah naysayers or not really naysayers but I would I would always try to find the downside of everything so someone would bring this idea and I'd be like well you know what about this and what about that you know what about this and what about that and I, I felt good and I felt smart you know because I would always find the negative in something yeah. You know, but then a very successful person once told me that guess what? You know, you have never seen a statue erected after a critic. Hmm. You know, you see a statue erected after people that are great and successful and go out and become great things, but you never see a statue erected after a critic. So all these things were coming through my head, you know, from I guess my upbringing or whatever of all these negative, skeptical things, and and this um, and so I flipped this, I flipped the, the the radio station. I was like, "There's no way this guy's full of it. That's impossible." You know, I thought you had to have money to invest in real estate. You know, I thought you had to have your credit pulled. I thought I thought all those different things. I had preconceived notions, right? And since I didn't have new information, all these preconceived notions were right to me, right? You know, so how do you change your preconceived notions? You always start looking at different ideas and and you have to be open. Your mind is like a parachute. It's got to be open. So, so I was driving down, listening to ESPN or whatever I was listening to and, and uh, something in my gut you know, wanted me to turn the channel back. And, and I, I know today it was God's intervention. He was tapping me on the shoulder and he was saying, yeah. listen, yeah. you know, kid, slap me across the head, you know, here, turn the channel back. So I actually turned the channel back and I continued to listen with what this gentleman had to say. And, uh, and I bought his course and it was a, it was a, it was a tape course and, and I had it, you know, shipped to my house. And, and at the time it, I, I didn't even have the money to buy the course. Cassettes. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, yeah cassette tape exactly, and I had I had to pull out my Capital One credit card, and I had to borrow my wife's Capital One credit card. We oh. put it on two different Capital One credit cards, and we actually bought the course, and uh, and uh, I actually devoured it, and I, I I didn't really understand, but then I started on my you know quest to learning this business of flipping properties quick turning real estate um and uh and obviously you know just like anything that's new it's um you stumble and you trip and you fall and you you get hurt and then then you start seeking you know people like you that have that do this business successfully and other people and and try to learn as much as you possibly can now back then in 
2003, there's not as much, you know, prevalent information out there to where you could do it. But I, I you know, I devour books and everything I could find on the particular subject. So that's that was my start, I guess you could say, to the whole idea of quick turning and flipping real estate using no cash and no credit. Do you do you care to share who it was on the radio that you heard? <laughs> you know what? The amazing thing is I cannot remember. And oh. I do not have his tapes. It wasn't Carlton have, Sheets or – No, it wasn't, it wasn't anybody we knew. It was – it was, uh, you know, he's not online today um, and I don't have his tapes. Wow. Unbelievably. <laughs> and I, I cannot for the life of me – it was almost like – He's almost like he came out of, you know, of the radio and he's, you know, was there to speak to me, it seemed like. And then I got his stuff and then, you know, I, I'd never heard from the guy again. It was, I've never seen him, never heard from him. He doesn't, he's not on Facebook. He's not on, you know, he's nowhere, you know. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I know if I saw his name or his, you know, something I would recognize it. But how many, how many people have you met who were successful in real estate who bought that Carlton Sheets course or that Wade Cook course or somebody, Way, way back, who was popular. Um, who's the other guy? Um, Carlton Sheets. Well, there's Russ Whitney. Who's Russ obviously, Whitney was another one. Um, yeah. Lou Brown, maybe not him. Anyway. Yeah, Lou Brown's a motivational speaker, right? I think he is. So you hear these stories of people buying this late-night infomercial. Yeah. And you think, oh, come on. You know, really? That stuff is so lame. But then I meet people all the time, Sean, who yeah. bought those lame courses and that got them started, and they're making tons of money right now. Very successful in business. And they point their success all the way back to that really stupid infomercial where they um, you know, they decided to take a chance. And um, they decided to have a little faith and, and knew that there was something better for them. And it may be that what, that what they bought at the time didn't have all of the answers, but they had the tenacity and the will to make it work, to find a way to make it succeed. And they did it. And... Um, I love hearing those stories. So good. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Those uh, those the amazing because you know, like you just like you said, it, it might not have been the all encompassing system that they followed, right. but one little nugget or one little chunk or idea, you know, may have sparked something to go search for more information or do something else. And I think that's that. I think that's what's done it for me. That particular course, you know, um, there was the concept of the of the of the of the idea was. You know, it, it actually was, it wasn't that well put together. It was pretty antiquated. All the tapes and the videos were from 1992, so <laughs> a lot of the information was old. You know, but it's amazing how this you know this particular concept of quick turning real estate was you know is almost universal. I mean, it's like you know it's you you can you use it today or you can use it 10 years from now or 10 years earlier. But you know, but it's like but but then when you get to that chunk, right? Mm-hmm. You, you understand the concept, and then you can start adding adding to it through uh, other educational means. You know. Well, people knock these gurus, and I can understand why. I mean, they sometimes sell on hype, sometimes sell on lies. Um, But I, and and there's been a lot of people that have spent a lot of money on on education and have not done anything with it. But I don't know if I can point to very many people that are successful in this business who have not spent some money on their education. And um, so I'm a big fan of that. I just wanted to. Well, this is the thing. And, and I and I have a, a, a bone to pick with that because this is the thing. 
is that you said a very key thing is that they bought the course right and they did nothing with it right so the bottom line is this is that you know the course works the concept you know and I'm not I'm not and I'm not putting a blanket over every single course but I'm what I'm saying is is that is that you know there's material out there and the material on something works right yeah. the bottom line is that the person has to work right you know it's put forth the effort to go out and do what it takes and maybe mess up and screw up and skin your knee and fall off the bike but guess what if you can get up again Again, and you can have the courage and you believe in the dream and then and like I said being willing to seek other information to kind of fit and find your own specific little niche or whatever whatever works better for you then in and, and you put forth the effort to make it happen then the results will be there you know because I don't think there's any magic course whether it be you know wholesaling lease options or flip to freedom academy or or Carlton sheets or all these other guys that where you just you know stick it on someone's desk and they all of a sudden magically become successful you know it takes you know massive tenacity yeah. and tons of massive action to go out and get the results so. as with any business any business yeah you buy a mcdonald's and you know and you know you gotta run it you gotta show up you gotta flip the burgers you gotta be there right you gotta show up to be there <laughs> yeah. you know and put yeah. forth the effort just like anything all right so this guy told you to go knock on doors what's up with yeah. that well um you know when it when it comes to well, you know, first off, the whole concept of quick turning real estate for someone that maybe doesn't know yeah. is you're what you're looking for is you're looking for a motivated seller. You're looking for someone who um, is in a situation where they need to sell and they need to sell quickly, right? And they don't want to go through the traditional means because either they're in financial distress or they're in the properties in physical distress. Um, so in, the traditional means would be listing it with a realtor. You have people come through the house. You do an open house. Everything's great. You know, and then someone makes an offer, and they pay real estate commissions, yada yada yada, all that, all that, all those things. Now, what would be someone who doesn't want to go through those traditional means? It could be someone who is an absentee investor; they're an out-of-state investor, which they own a, a, a rental property, and, and, and the renters maybe not paying now, and they trash the place, and they just want to get out of the property because of the burden of the monthly payment, um, and they don't want to deal with the whole eviction process. It could be someone that's in foreclosure that's about to lose their house to foreclosure, and they want to sell and be. And they they don't have time to go through the whole listing process. It'd be someone who maybe inherited a property recently, and and uh, they don't want to go in and spend the fifteen or twenty thousand dollars to fix up the property to get it in market condition. Right. You know, it might be someone who uh, you know have probate on a property and is going through a probate process, or someone who going through a divorce, or or maybe the property is just distressed and they haven't you know they have a rental property they just want to get rid of. So that would be classified as someone that's a motivated seller. So once it, so the t- the the, the t- it is to find those motivated sellers and you do it through means of marketing. Well, in this particular course, uh, what he talked about is to knock on pre-foreclosure doors, okay, to go to go, um, to go, go get a list of people that were in pre-foreclosure, and pre-foreclosure is when they're um, about, the house is about to go to auction, and then get that list and go knock on a door and, and talk to the homeowner, hopefully, and uh, ask them if they would like to sell their house before it goes to auction on so-and-so date, right? So um, that's what he taught. That's how that's how he his marketing was for motivated sellers. So I didn't know any different. I didn't know about the, the means of marketing. There was no, you know, internet wasn't, you know, what it is today, you know, and uh, I didn't really know what the direct mail was and didn't know how that worked and stuff. So I was like, as a, you know, almost like a, a gullible kid, I was like, 
okay, you know, I'll go knock <laughs> on doors. Yeah. You know, so I got in my um, Nissan Murano. I had Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, blaring in the car, and you know, to to basically give me that, you know, that drive and that motivation, and and through his stories, and uh, and so I got a list of people in pre foreclosure, and I I mapped everything out on Yahoo. I remember they had uh, the Yahoo Maps, and I went from one house to another house to another house to another house, and I kind of mapped out my whole my, my, my whole basically my whole uh, string of where I was going to go for the day, and I'd go out and knock on twenty to thirty houses a day. And now I did this, you know, to, you know. At first, I didn't do it. I I I'd go out and knock on doors, you know, when I had time between what I was doing, you know, yeah. at, either at lunch or between going from one job to another job. I go knock on some doors, so I kind of had to do it with around what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go knock on doors, and the first house I walked up to was on the first house, and now I'm telling you right now. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing it. It's very intimidating. It's um, you know the you know the first time I actually drove up to the house. I had my list. I had my my maps and stuff like that. And you know, and, and I'm like, am I crazy? I'm gonna I'm gonna walk up to this guy's house mm-hmm. who's in a distressed situation and ask him if he wants to sell. You know, and I was like, what am I nuts? And uh, it wasn't the best of neighborhoods. I remember I drove by the house two and three and four times. I was kind of casing the joint. I was driving by slowly to see if anyone was there. And I was looking for any excuse to bolt, you know what I mean? Any excuse to be done, you know, and not, not do it. Oh, you know, it's just, you know, it's, you know, whatever. I was trying to make up one in my head. So I eventually pulled over down the street, you know, got my stuff together, walked up and there was this big, huge, massive truck with these knobby tires. It wasn't parked in the driveway. It was actually parked in the front yard, you know, if you know what I mean. And, and I walked up and they had this like, you know, kind of screen door. The door was open. This was like May of 2003, um, uh, April of 2003. And I knocked on the door and this big guy that was about six foot four, he had bald hair, you know, he had, uh, you know, his hair kind of, you know, shaven and, and, uh, he had all this, you know, with his wife beater t-shirt on, he had this hair all over his chest that was coming out and he was just had this mean looking sweaty look on his face. And he was like, you know, what do you want? You know, <laughs> and I'm standing there going, you know, this is the first house I've ever knocked on, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like going, okay, here's my career, my my path, my success to real estate. I've got Napoleon Hill. I've got to do it, right? Yeah. Never quit. So I go up and knock on it, and I could not say anything at all. You? I looked up and I was like, yeah, I was like. <laughs> Sean couldn't say anything. Couldn't say anything, man. My, my, yeah, no, yeah. And right. now that, I mean, I could, my, my tongue was swollen. I was tripping over. I couldn't say anything. And I'm sitting there and I remember thinking to myself, do I have a problem? Is there something wrong with me? Because <laughs> I can't, and, can, you know, now, have you ever, have you ever, you know, talked to someone and you say something stupid and someone gives you a look and it kind of, you kind of reevaluate your whole self? Have you ever done that? Oh, or maybe yeah. someone, someone looks time. at you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or someone looks at you and they kind of look you up and down and stuff like that. And you're you're going, boy, am I am I a, am I a loser? Do I am I do I have a do I have a booger on my nose? What's wrong, right? You know. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sitting there and uh, and I I had that feeling and this guy's looking at me like I'm absolutely crazy. My tongue's all swollen. I can't spit out any words. And I literally just turn around and in my high, you know, and in, in my you know my quick step, you know, literally shuffled or ran back to my car. And I sat in my car and I remember sitting there, you know, going, what the heck? There is no way. There is absolutely no way I can do this. Wow. No way. And uh, so that was my that was my first experience going through the process of going to knock on doors. 
Now, you, when did you stop doing that? Well, I um, well, I, got, I I actually eventually got my first deal. I knocked on enough doors, and and I finally came down to it where I knocked on my second door, knocked on my third door, and and I literally had to psych myself up. You know, it's like you know, I used to play football in high school. And we used to be in the locker room. We'd just be shuffling around, getting all psyched up to like, you know, you know, twisted sister. We're not gonna take it, right? Yeah. And we'd be all just ramped up, and we'd go out there and just rawr, no one's you know, and go play football. Well, I'd do the same thing. I'd be in the car, I'd get myself. All ramped up, and I'm going to go knock on this door. I'm going to get this deal, and uh, and so I did that. And I actually went through, and I actually got my first deal, and made eleven thousand eight dollars, not knowing, you know, you know, hardly anything. I didn't have contracts. I didn't have a buyer's list. I didn't know what the heck a buyer's list was. You know, I didn't know how to fill it out correctly. I didn't know how to negotiate or what to say, or you know, I just literally. Wung it. I mean, just come. I mean, the, you know, the course was that thin, you know, to where I just, I just basically wung it. I made eleven thousand eight dollars on my first flip, nice. and I think that basically did it for me. That that was like, oh my gosh, this is reality. Because what's going to happen for a lot of people listening to this is that you're going to listen to these podcasts, and you're going to be listening to you know people and success stories of people how they can go out and become successful. And then what's you're going to what's going to happen is you're going to be excited about it, and then you're going to turn around and tell your friends friends and your family and your relatives and your coworkers. And I call it what's called like fire hosing. Have you ever seen like a fire hose that you just open it up full blow it? And what happens is it just blows people away. Yeah. Right. So you go fire hose your family and your friends and that's what I did. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get rich in real estate. I'm gonna flip places. I don't have to get cash or credit and I get to knock on doors. And I was just <laughs> dumping fire hosing them right. with all this information. And guess what? Everybody says it can't couldn't be done. You know, my father-in-law said it couldn't be done. My my wife's the only one supported me, and mm-hmm. um, and everybody else I talked to said, you know, there's no way you can do that. You can't flip it. That's, that's, you know, they've never heard of it before. You know that you could you know flip houses with no cash, no credit. Um, my father-in-law referred me to a realtor. He said it can't be done. He said no way you can find these deals at that low. He goes, there's too many other people in the market that will get them before you do. Right. right? Heard that over and over. Yeah, heard that. You know, that's why. So, you know, so I, I had all these people telling me it couldn't work and it couldn't happen. So when I got that first check of $11,008, man, that did it for me. And that's what will do it for you, you know, when you get it because now you know it works. Now, and see, my personality is tell me I can't do it and I'll do it 10 times over. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, another very successful person one once told me, he said, there's no better revenge than massive success, right? So, so I, uh, yeah. I, I was bound and determined to, uh, to make that happen. When I got my first check, you know, I just went from there. So then I just continued to answer your question to knock on doors. And then, then I started placing ads in, you know, strategic places and newspapers and stuff like that. And then I, I, I found direct marketing and then, you know, it just kind of progressed from there. How did you, okay, how did you find the direct mail direct marketing piece in your business when uh, talk how about did your- i find it well i kind of found it because i went into pre-foreclosure other other pre-foreclosure houses you know mm-hmm. of people that i'd be talking to and and um and they would have a stack of mail from all my you know quote-unquote competitors um and and i bait one guy one person gave them to me and they gave me a ba- a stack of you know postcards and letters and and uh, yellow letters and and um you know letters with checks in them and stuff like that. Okay. So that's how I kind of, you know, I was like, oh, direct mail, that, that's a good idea, <laughs> you know? And so you, over the next couple of years, you bought a bunch of properties, right? Yeah, what, what we did is, is um, 
You had a, you brought I, a business partner on too, I think, right? Yeah, because I, I was, I was, I was the guy. I was, I was good at finding properties, right? And and I had to hustle, and I was out there finding them. And um, and then there was um, a, a gentleman by the name of Mike who was who was uh, in the process of building a portfolio of properties at the time, and he was you know buying them um, and putting you know putting financing on them, and then doing a lease option on them, and then holding them out for rentals and stuff. So he was looking to buy properties. I was looking to sell properties, so I think I bought, you know, I, I tied up and sold him like four or five or six properties that, you know, I, you know, over a course of a time. And I was always trying to negotiate the high price. He was always trying to get negotiate the lowest price. And you know, so we ended up and said, you know, over the time, so why don't we just, you know, why don't we just do deals together? And what know? year was this? I think this was um, 2003. Uh, it was like end of 2003, early. 2004, like the beginning of 2004. So the market's really starting to heat up in Phoenix. Especially. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's and it's not like completely just, you know, it's not where it's off the hook. Yeah, you know I mean, it's just it's it's you know, and you know, there there's buyers that are buying houses. There's um um there's still easy to negotiate with motivated sellers and stuff. So, but it's not the point. Like in Phoenix, hit the absolute height of the market was um, in uh, 2005. The mid mid 2005 is where we had the lowest inventory levels and the highest pending sales. Okay. So you guys started buying a bunch of homes, and were you holding them together in your yeah. company then? Yeah, and what we did was is um, you know we we were going after we started doing massive direct mail, tons of postcards, and and, uh, and even knocking on doors, and, and we had bird dogs that were knocking on doors. So we what we did was is we structured um, seller financing on, uh, on most of the deals. So we 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 bought some ourselves, and and then we structured seller financing where we keep the existing loan in place of someone that's in pre foreclosure. Um, and then what we do is um, you know they move out and. We'd lease option the place, you know, using the lease option method, and and we'd usually recoup any amount of down payment um, that we had in the property. So we'd be, you know, you know, net zero, I guess, what you could say, on a particular property, or we'd have maybe a little bit of capital in it if we had to go in and fix it up and stuff. So you were buying these homes by taking over the existing mortgages, but you were still getting them at pretty good discounts, right? Yeah, and yeah, they were pretty good discounts. They were enough where the property could cash flow on a monthly basis. Not a lot, um, but um, they're yeah, they're they're cash flowing and they're pretty good. And so, but what they weren't at forty, you know, forty cents on the dollar. Some, you know, some were good deals, and you know, some were, you know, deals that. So, so he kind of got me in the whole model of. You know, almost like the Carlton Sheets model, which we talked about, is actually building a portfolio. Where I was more the you know flipping houses. So we kind of took the took the idea of finding the deals through marketing and, and the the discount deals, and then saying, okay, well, what if we could structure them to you know build a portfolio, you know, instead. So that's what, what that's and we we flipped some houses, but most of them we just uh, we just hung on to. So about how many homes did you have at the at your highest point? Um, roughly about 120, okay. about 30, 36 million dollars worth at one point. And what what percent would you say that those homes were um, you had bought with seller financing versus ones you'd bought with cash with your own traditional bank financing? Um, probably. I mean, because you only could get ten houses on your mortgage at a time, so literally, you know, there's probably a hundred were seller financing and twenty maybe actual real financing. Okay. Well, no, were you at the time wholesaling 
seller financing deals to other investors, or were you just keeping those yourself? No, we we didn't. I didn't really know we could wholesale those. Um, okay. I, 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 I that that didn't gel in my head until later on, you know. So it was more, it was more where we um, pretty much just held them, held them in our own portfolio, and just uh, and just held on to them. I want to I want to get to this issue of scarcity because you are now got a bunch of homes and you're pretty active investors. I remember in Phoenix back in the day, you couldn't walk down the street and trip over ten different we buy houses signs there were so many investors out there but still you're able to find deals is that right yeah yeah people what what would you say to somebody who's worried about competition you know even in this market when there's maybe a tenth of what there was before for competition but i mean you're doing deals when the market was screaming hot and and people were going to phoenix in droves to buy deals right um, to get trained um you know what what do you say to people who think that way well this is the thing. There, there will be competition in, in you know pretty much anything you do, right? You know when it, when it comes to business. But so, how do you differentiate yourself? That becomes you know more of the more of the question. So, you know, I guess how you know I we I mean I pretty much different differentiated myself from other people is that I would build such a level of rapport with a motivated seller to the point to where you know I really listen to exactly of how I could structure a deal that would make it work for them um, instead of and all my competitors would go in and they would just be going right for the gut throat they'd be just looking for you know the absolute best deal they would get right to the point they wouldn't wouldn't spend they wouldn't have a sincere interest in really sitting down really understanding the situation, really listening, you know, and and when it comes to any type of sales or it comes to any type of um, negotiation or any of that type of thing, it's right. is is actually sitting down and really listening to what the um, you know to what the seller is looking to do, you know, and it's you know I, I, I basically tell is it's like if we're if we're in a bakery and we're selling chocolate if we're selling cakes. You know, and someone comes in and says, "I want to, I want a vanilla cake with uh, lemon meringue or lemon frosting," and you try to, but you don't really listen to them. You just kind of blow it off, and then you try to sell them a chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. Well, I don't care what you do. I don't care how you know talented you are, or whatever. Your your business is going to go out of business because you're not listening to what your customer is wanting, essentially, and delivering exactly what they want. Right. You know, so you know, so if you could be the guy that could listen to what the customer wants, but then deliver exactly what they want or more, then um, you know, then obviously you'd be in business. So I, I basically took that same philosophy and just said, "Hey, I'm going to sit there and figure out exactly what the seller and try to figure out what their needs are, you know, and what they want to accomplish and what they want to do, and then I try to structure and craft an offer that would meet those needs, but also made sense um, for the numbers on my side." What a concept. Yeah, what a concept. <laughs> All right, so then you have a bunch of homes and you're getting a haircut one day. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was basically, you know, it was, you know, early 2005 and um we I mean we we were literally hustling. I mean, we 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 I mean, we went crazy. I mean, just like going bananas, you know, um for a while just, you know, acquiring houses and stuff like that. But um, 
but basically what happened was is I was getting a haircut um, and the hairdresser was was talking to where um, she got this house and she bought this house and she you know turned around and put a little bit of money on it and flipped it and made forty thousand dollars flipping this this particular house and uh, and I remember thinking and the hairdresser she I mean she has no real estate experience not not knowing she's like oh my gosh everybody's making money in real estate it's the most incredible thing it's just like oh this is great you know no, 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 we're making money you know and it was just insane um and I, I i was thinking i was like you know and i remember what you know warren buffett said is you know you know selling the strength and buy weakness right, right. you know because mm-hmm. you know when everybody's buying that's when you want to sell when everybody's selling that's when you want to buy you know warren buffett has made his fortune by buying when blood's in the street you know what i mean so you know and uh so i basically i was i was thinking of that so i i talked to my partner and Tracy told us listen we got to sell everything so we hooked up with a group out of california who was um they were looking for inventory and they would do seminars literally every weekend um and we hooked up with a mortgage broker hooked up with a title company and literally fly out on the weekends to California and take an inventory of, you know, 20, 30 houses at a time. Um, and then, and it wouldn't be just us. It'd be, um, it'd be a group from Florida would come in, a group from Arizona, a group from Colorado, and they'd all come in with these, with these houses. And, um, they would talk, uh, whoever the speaker was would talk about, you know, um, at that time, we talk about um, um, real estate and investment and all this type of thing, and then you know present the properties. Well, a lot mo- a lot of people wanted to be in Arizona because it was close to California, of course, and they, we would literally um, you know get someone pre qualified there for for a mortgage. They'd write up a, write a check to the escrow company right there, sign a purchase contract. So we'd have earnest money, have them pre qualified in a purchase contract already signed um, for full value. For you know, full retail market value, um, but we had a tenant in place, right? And the property with a, a tenant would, you know, I don't, whether it cash flows depending on what interest rate they got and stuff like well, that. But there would be a tenant in place. Medium priced homes, right? Yeah, and these are all in the eighty to you know, hundred and fifty thousand dollar, you know, eight hundred eighty thousand dollar range. Even back you know, then. Even back then, yeah. Okay. Um, so they so, cash flowed. Yeah, they cash flowed to a certain sense. Some did, some didn't. You know, depend, like I said, depending on what their mortgage amount was, yeah. um, and how much they uh, they had two hundred thousand dollars houses. So, you know, so we would basically take a stack of houses over, you know, twenty, thirty, you know, houses at a time, and each of them had flyers that had description of the property. There'd be pictures of the property, and we had literally a you know a description on each one of them, and flyers made on you know each one of them, and then people would say, okay, I want. They'd be in line. I want this one. I want this one. I'll take this one. You know. And we literally sell all of the houses, you know, you know, that we took on that weekend, bring all the contracts back on a Monday. We'd literally sign all the contracts on Monday. We'd open up all the escrow on them. We'd process all the paperwork and, and, and they would close in about 30 days. Um, so we were literally, but we were doing that, you know, every weekend, you know, maybe every other weekend selling houses. And we literally unloaded all of our inventory wow. in a matter of months. And what, what year was this again? It's 2005. It was like between May and November of 2005. Um, we we're doing those seminars, and we're you know weekends we're going out California, getting all the contracts, bringing them back, open escrow, closing them, managing the process, and selling them all. It's crazy. I just went to uh, housingtracker.net. They've changed their domain now. It's Department of Numbers, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a official government agency, but it's Department of Numbers. 
And you can look up median prices in Phoenix, and they peaked in April 2006. And uh, so this was about, you stopped selling your homes about four or five months before the market yeah. peaked. Yep. And uh, who would have saw, that, I'm looking at this now, home prices dropped 55% yeah. over the next five years. Absolutely amazing. Yep. Um, so you, you saw the writing on the wall? And you yeah, got we, kind, out. we kind of saw the, the the you know the writing writing was on the wall, and um, and we just literally just unloaded the properties, you know. And, and now there there was a, we we continued our marketing through through that time. Yeah. So we were we were there was a point where we we were literally still marketing for motivated sellers, still you know, and we get we get someone under contract, and we you know structure seller financing so that we were closing on properties at you know say eighty percent of value and selling the properties at a hundred percent of value, you know during the process as well, wow. <laughs> you know. So while we were selling houses, we 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 didn't stop between May and November and just stop marketing for deals. Right. We continued to market for deals because there was such a demand there, and you know we would find deals, we'd sign them up, do the contract, we'd close on them, and then we'd turn around and flip them within you know thirty days later and uh, for a higher price. But did you really think the market was going to collapse like it did? No way. No, absolutely. No way did I think it was going to collapse. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you know, it's because you know now you look at mar- real estate market cycles and you see them and you see you know it goes from it goes demand and it goes equilibrium where it kind of just it goes down a little bit and kind of levels off and then you have oversupply, you know, where there's a massive oversupply in the market and you know demand is diminished and and then you get back to uh, uh, you get back to demand again or there, there's uh, what they call a uh, after oversupply is um, absorption, where they actually absorb the inventory and then go back to uh, back to demand. So we're we're in the point right now where we're sitting, where we just came out of oversupply, and now we're coming we're, we're into absorption phase. Now, how long will absorption absorption phase be? Who knows? But I can tell you right now that the market's definitely to a point now where um, there is a lot of buyers in the market. Home builders haven't been building forever now. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you know there is a pent up demand. For properties, and uh, and you know, just like the pendulum may swing, it goes far to the left, and then it slowly comes back, and then you know, so you know, when it comes to timing, who knows? But um, all I know is right now is the absolute perfect time to uh, to get involved in this business because of, um, of where we're at in the marketplace. You know, you can still negotiate and find great deals with motivated sellers. You know, and there's are there are buyers on the other side that will buy the property. A lot of cash buyers are coming back in. You're absolutely right. I'm seeing that here in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what did you do between 2006 and 2010? Those four years. Well, four years. Basically, what we did was it kind of slow. It's kind of slowed. You know, obviously everything just went to a screeching halt. And during this whole time. Um, um, you know, one of one of my brilliant moves, and and one and one part about you know real estate is is that um, you you know it's it's amazing how the the whole thing works because there's there's so many different opportunities. So one of the one of the great things was like, oh my gosh, sold all the properties. But then what we did is we in, reinvested um, a huge gobs of money into raw land. Um, and what we did was, is we bought parcels of raw land, and we br- brought them through the entitlement process of where we um, actually would we have our we have our attorneys and do all the zoning and do all the entitlement on it and on the properties on um, 
you know, I, I'm, let me see, probably one, two, three, four, about five different projects um, they were working on the time. So you spent most of that time, you spent a lot of time dealing with the um, civil engineers, uh, figuring, you know, figuring out the plat. And what we did was, is we take raw dirt um, that was zoned agricultural. And then what we do is we'd change the zoning on the property by doing a rezone on it um, to residential or in, in a higher density residential. And then what we do is plat and engineer um, the lots and get them ready sellable to home builders but the problem is is that the home builders stop buying properties right right yeah. <laughs> so we did we you know so literally now we're sitting on you know these you know these land now you know who knows when it will you know come back to the point of where we bought it but you know who knows so we're you know so you know what what the amazing thing is is that you know is that with this whole thing it was just a massive learning experience of how you know, how real estate market cycles work. You know, if I was going to do it again, you know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have turned around and, you know, bought land. But, you know, your question was, did I ever think that it was going to go that low? You know, no way, no way. We, we didn't think that the, you know, the, you know, the majority of the home builders, especially a lot of the small home builders would get completely wiped off the face of the planet, you know, and then all the major home builders would stop buying properties for five years. You know what I mean? Um, you know, we never, had that in our business plan. We basically had a two-year business plan or a three-year business plan per property to bring it through the you know zoning phase and entitlement phase, and then and then turn around and sell it. So, so when so, did you when did you start wholesaling houses um, again? Well, I think uh, back aggressively wholesaling houses was in um, I think it was like in 08. Okay. Oh eight, um, we started wholesaling houses, and and basically what um, there's a couple different things that we did. We and that's where I found the whole online presence. When at that time we didn't have a website, we didn't have a um, we didn't have a you know any type of online presence you know whatsoever. Um, so what we did was it was is we said what if we could. Um, find investors instead of in our market all across the country and deliver, you know, cash flow properties. Um, so what we did is we optimized a website um, for um, the keyword cash flow properties or cash flow properties for sale. So if you type into Google right now and you go to cash flow properties or cash flow properties for sale, we'll be the number one or number two or number three spot, um, depending on how Google's al- al- algorithm is that day. But we'll be in the top spot for that particular keyword and what we did is we just it was just a lead generation yep, there site. you are fortress yeah. investor where were we at number right. two yeah, number two. Um, yeah, so number two. So for Arizona cash flow properties for sale or cash flow properties for sale or um, what, what we did is we used it as a lead gen site where, you know, we get leads that came in um, and I still get leads today off, off the site of people all across the entire country that are looking for cash flow properties for sale. And what we do is we'd work with them to get financed for, uh, you know, for property and they could either buy three properties or five properties or 10 properties depending on what their credit scores and cash you know, stuff was, and we would find buy properties at the courthouse steps at the auctions, and we were literally um, one of the only guys down there that were actually buying 
properties at the courthouse. Um, and we buy them in closed cash in, in 24 hours, and we would go in, we'd fix them up, um, and we'd fix them up to rent ready, and then we'd find, we'd get it, the property leased out with a tenant, um, and then we'd package that up and sell it to investors across the country that would come in with their 25% down, um, and they would put their, you know, put their money down, and then they would buy the property, and they'd buy two and three and four. So literally, we would fill orders for people. A guy would say, hey, listen, I want to buy six cash flow properties in Phoenix. I want to be in this range. I'm looking for this much cash flow. So what we do is we go buy the properties. We'd renovate them. We'd turn around. We'd put a tenant in them and package them up. We'd already have the property pre-sold, right? We'd just send pictures over, put up all the information, and sell the properties in, to uh, to the investors across the country. So we did a ton of those deals. How much, it, what, was your, it, what was your average profit on those deals? Uh, about 20000 or so. Okay. I mean, looking yeah. back... Uh, would you still do that kind of a strategy? Was it worth the, the effort you were putting into that? Because that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, it was a complete. I mean, my my day was just. I mean, I'd be waking up at you know at night. We'd be checking all the bids on the properties of what was going to go to auction the next day, and we'd be trying. We'd be picking up two and three properties a week um, down at the courthouse. So we'd have to search for a lot of properties. So at, at at nine o'clock at night, I'd be searching for properties. You know, you know, six seven o'clock at night, and I'd be looking through whatever whatever is coming out the next day. And then what I do is is turn around and figure out out of the thousand plus two properties that were going to go to auction, you know, sort through and figure out which ones were good deals. And then I would uh, pick the best 10. We get title search them on them. We comp them out. And then we drive them the next morning before the uh, the uh, opening bids at 10 o'clock. Um, and then we go drive them. And I had a guy down there that I'd text my bids in. I'd text the bids in to my guy. And, and we'd either get them or we wouldn't. Um, and if we got them, then we'd go to the house, have to secure them. We'd get our contractors over there and go through, figure out exactly what needed. We just pretty much had a system down of uh, of just uh, creating these these cash flow properties. So um, so yeah, it was lucrative, but it was it was laboring, very laboring um, to be able to do that. Now in 2008 here in Phoenix, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, in real estate, there was nothing going on nothing all the home builders are dried up no one's building you know on the commercial is no one's doing a commercial no one's wholesaling houses because all the cash buyers are out of the market because they you know they can't really fix and flip in that particular market because there was literally no demand so we basically had to create um, almost a market for ourselves, we, you know. And I remember we were we were down at the courthouse steps, and we're going, what you know, you know, what, what are we going to do to, you know, generate more revenue? You know, what I mean, generate a, a cash revenue system. So, and that's where we, you know, came up with our business model, optimized the site, and we started doing some heavy bidding on Google for uh, for specific keywords, and and uh, started getting a lot of leads that came in of people interested in our program, looking for properties. Now we don't do that business model today. Um, the business model is there to, you know, if we ever wanted to ramp it up again, but but uh, but primarily um, the business of wholesaling now, and I think the biggest reason is is because appraisals became unpredictable, right. meaning that you would never know. They came out with a policy um, um, that's called HVCC, and HVCC means that the um, that a lender now has to put out an appraisal to bid, and whoever bids the f- 
fastest and the lowest gets the appraisal. So what happens is you have a lot of people out there that um, have built these established relationships with all these different lenders that now all of a sudden, boom, their business is gone. I've seen appraisal appraisal guys get completely wiped out because they spent years building their business, wow. building a relationship with all these different mortgage companies to be the, someone that they refer to, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom, they can't do it anymore. It has to go through this third party, you know, appraisal management company that will, you know, bid a lower price and bid the fastest. And what we found was is that we could get two appraisals on a property and they would come in so far different. Um, I had one property that we bought and did renovation on and then, you know, we got an appraisal for 100000 Then we got another appraisal for 175000 So who's right? You know, now what the bank does is they pick the lowest of the two, of course. They don't split it down the middle. <laughs> they go, oh, the one with the lowest should be right. Now, the guy, he didn't give us any credit for renovation, didn't give us any credit that the property was completely leased up. We spent 30000 or whatever renovating the property, and he comped it right next door to a property that was on the market for 100000 that was completely you know, thrashed. I mean, right. it needed $50,000. It needed ACs, a new roof. It needed everything. So, And he gave us literally the exact same value of the property right next door. Well, that becomes undisputable. You can't go back. You can challenge it, but you're talking about months and months of work you know so what we did is um we just like okay we don't want you know until they can clean up the appraisal stuff then let's get you know let's start cranking out on the wholesaling again that's how we kind of merged from that you know into the wholesaling model all right so now you're wholesaling a bunch of deals yeah and um would you say you know your return on your time is greater doing the kind of the whole full service stuff that you were doing or just wholesaling properties. My return on the time. You're talking yeah. about um, your, your return on your investment of, you know, your time, your sanity, your money, whatever. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Because you know, especially when when you're buying houses at the courthouse steps, you know, and you, you kind of don't know what you get. You're doing, you know, all all your bidding on drive bys. I mean. I mean, there is there's a lot of work when it comes to managing a, a a renovation process, you know, to get it ready to sell. I remember one house we bought at the courthouse steps. I walked into, um, I knocked on the door, no one answered. Came back the next day, knocked on the door, no one answered, um, and, and then kind of drove around. Came back, knocked on the door again. Finally, um, this lady answered, and uh, and the house was just. I mean, I mean, like, like, finally, she she let me in. She had her two kids there, right? And it was a wife that was abandoned by this deadbeat dad. And uh, I walked in, and there was literally a pile of dog poop in the middle of the oh. entryway that was up. I mean, literally up to my mid of my calf, right? Of just, and they basically the dog would just poop in the house, and they just put it right in the middle of the entry entryway. And it was dis- the most disgusting thing. The house was just absolutely the worst thing that you've ever seen in your life um and it was just absolutely terrible so and uh so what i did was is um is um she and i mean the pools all filled in back there was no water in the house for six years they were actually going to the bathroom in in buckets and then throwing it outside and pooping in bags and throwing it outside i mean it's like it's like nothing you ever heard before right i mean just out of out of the middle of you know whatever so um 
what happened was she actually showed me the divorce decree, and the divorce decree uh, stated that the ex-husband had to, had to take care of the property, keep all the payments up, and maintain the property, right? Yeah. And he obviously didn't. So what I did was is I found this guy. I hunted him down and found this guy, went to his door, knocked on his door, and said, you know, you got to come out here and talk to me. And I basically told him, said, listen, if you don't make this right – then I'm going to have I'm going to turn her over to my attorney and I'm going to fund it and I'm going to bury you for everything you've got. Wow. And uh and uh I mean the guy's eyes were turned you know huge. So what I had him do is actually I had the guy cuz he got some sort of trust fund or something actually buy the lady a, a, a small little condo and uh so she didn't have to worry about rent. It was like a condo community. She didn't have to worry about cleaning up stuff and and um and then uh, had him buy the condo for her and now she lives there with her kids. So <laughs> Yeah, that was that. So that's that's how I, that that's why you talk about you know you know the time and energy it went into to rehab that property. We took four forty yard roll offs of just junk out of this house. So the time it took to go and do that whole thing to make a twenty thousand dollar profit was ridiculous. Where now on a wholesaling business, I can go you know um, tie up a property and turn around and sell it you know without having to sometimes not even look at the property you know at some yeah. points, but but um, be able to be able to do that to where I can turn around and sell it and uh, you know make at or close the same amount of money uh, by flipping the house to a cash buyer that will come in and renovate the property. He'll deal with all the renovation and aspects of it to where you know I don't have to deal with that. So now, granted, the market is different now than it was yeah. a couple years ago, so it's probably easier to wholesale homes today. But uh, you still probably could have wholesaled some homes back then. But back then, you know, you kind of had to do what you had to do to get these properties. Um, Sold and probably at the time the best way to do that was to turn them into cash machines. Yeah, and I think it was also too the particular buyers that we were marketing for, and the pitch that we had was you know you know buy cash flow renovated properties with tenants in place for you know you know at X amount of dollars for you know twenty five percent down get pre qualified use bank financing. So you know they would have to be a strong buyer. They had to have liquidity. They had to have the seven hundred plus credit scores, you know, and uh, and so that that was kind of the buyer we were catering to. So then we what we did just shifted our marketing, you know, um, for those because those buyers almost came in on autopilot and then shifted our marketing to um, marketing for buyers, cash buyers looking for wholesale properties. All right. So now you wholesale a bunch of deals. And um, one of the reasons why you started Flip to Freedom Academy was because you were looking for bird dogs, right? You had, what, more more seller leads than you could handle? You're looking for a way to to get some uh, to help, to get someone to help you (laughs) with all of these deals that you're working on. Is that right? Well, yeah, actually what it was, um, and, um, and our, our, my business partner and I, we kind of went our separate ways. Um, and what we did was, um, is that I had a choice, uh, where in, uh, the last April I had a choice to either, um, ramp up the business to where, you know, I expanded the office, I, you know, hired some more people, you know, hired a bunch of sales guys, and then just literally just ramped up the marketing and just became a wholesale production machine. Like, you know, a couple of, of friends of mine that are, are doing similar, similar business models. I mean, I have a, um, a gentleman I know who, who buys properties at the auction, he turns around and, and he puts them on his site and sells them within 24 hours. And they do, you know, anywhere from five to seven properties a week. 
week um, just that way. He buys them at the auction, puts them on a site. Buys them at the auction, puts them on a site. Um, and he has a whole office and a team of people looking for properties and people putting them on the site and stuff like that. And he does very well. Um, so that's one business model. That was one business model that that we could have easily, you know, could have easily grasped and, and uh, pretty much ran the entire market when it came to seller motivated wholesale properties or dealing with uh, motivated sellers. Um, but what happened was I read the book Four Hour Work Week by Timothy Ferris. Uh-huh. And Timothy Ferris is, talks about creating a muse or a business to where it would allow you to um, structure a, a lifestyle to where you only have to work, you know, four hours a week. Now, for me, my personality, I couldn't work four hours a week because I love what I do. So, but the concept was is to have a a business or a muse that you could pretty much work anywhere in the world at any time you want with who you want, um, and it pretty much generates you know income regardless if you're part of the business or not. Um, so I read that, and then I read this other book um, that was called The Go Giver, and uh, which is a phenomenal book. Um, it's about a story of a of, of a kid who who uh, he learns the, I think it's the uh, seven or the six stratospheric laws of success. And he goes through this process of learning these stratospheric laws of success. Um, and it's a really, really, really good book. And I actually bought the uh, audio version when I was headed out to California um, for one trip I was doing. Um, I, I happened to listen to it and I just fell in love with the book. It has just been great. So one of the stratospheric laws of success is is turnaround of is the law of income to where it comes out to where the more people you can touch, right? Um, you know, the more people you can inspire and touch and stuff like that, the more income you can generate. Well, you know, when you're in the wholesaling business and you're in your you're flipping houses and stuff, there's only so many people you can touch all the buy you can touch the buyers, meaning you can interact with buyers, you can interact with sellers and stuff like that. But you know, it's only limited to your specific geographic region and you only can build it so far, right? Right. So so that's when I, you know, and I was an avid listener of podcasts at that time and I was listening to um, to um, some internet business podcasts from Internet Business Mastery, which those guys are great over there, Sterling and Jay. So I was listening to that. I was listening to real estate investing podcasts and, and I really didn't find anything that was uh, really, really around the niche of wholesaling um, within there and, and anybody that was really giving out tons of detailed information. So I was, I was thinking, well, you know, you know, what if I started a podcast, you know, um, that I could mainly have to, to basically direct local people to, and I could direct them to, they can listen to the podcast and then I could work with them. Um, cause I'm building a buyer's list and I'm, I got my buyer's list is growing like crazy. They have buyers, but I could work with them to where I could work and teach and train them to go out and find deals that we could bring to this, this buyers, these buyers, and we could split transactions on. So it, it's first off, it started off of just being able to give away great content for local people to plug into and then I could start build a local following um, of people that we could do marketing with. That means that, you know, what happens was is these guys could learn the information, they could do the the means of marketing, whether it be yell letters or websites or, you know, or knock on doors or absentee owners or whatever um, and then they could bring them to a central you know, source or whatever. They could call me and I could help them negotiate the deals and get the contracts done and then my system could pretty much take over from there of 
of getting the property through escrow, getting uh, the transaction all the way through to smoothly, getting it, doing the marketing on it and getting it out to a buyer and getting the property sold. Uh, so that was the concept of the whole, you know, the whole Flip to Freedom podcast was to was to pretty much build a local following. So when it came to the philosophy of actually uh, delivering content, well, you know, my mindset was, well, I don't want to hold anything back. You know what I mean? If I'm going to work with these guys, I want to teach them everything I know. You know, now some people are going, oh, what are you crazy? Why would you teach people in your local market how to compete against you? Well, that's a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. And then there's the abundant mindset is where, you know what, if um, you become a, you know, you know, it it just, there's two different mindsets. So my mindset was just like, you know, give everything away. And that's one reason why my business partner and I kind of split because, you know, he wanted to do more of, you know, of sign non-compete agreements and we'll train you and, and you have to give us X amount of deals over a certain amount of time and da-da-da and all this stuff. And I was like, listen, just, just, you know what, just give it away for free. You know, people will be attracted to you and there's abundant mindset. There's enough deals out there and we'll just, you know, everything will work out fine. So, so that's basically the philosophy I took is to give away a ton of great information. And, uh, uh, and that's what I've done through the podcast. But what happens is in iTunes, you know, in, uh, in BlackBerry, um, is that it spreads like wildfire. And um, so now it spreads all over the entire country to where now I've got people, you know, reaching out all across the country. They were going, oh, my gosh, it's great information. I started getting all these reviews in iTunes of five-star reviews going, oh, my gosh, this is great. And people emailing me and we want more. How can I get more? What can we do? And, and – um, and will you partner with me? Will you do this? Will you know, all, all this stuff. Yeah. And, and, and then, then I'm like, well, you know, and, and I, I, you know, listen to Internet Business Mastery and, and they have a membership site, which is a training, basically a training site to teach people Internet business. And, and I was like, well, you know, what if I had a, a, a membership site or a training site to teach people the business and then some people I could work and coach with across the country? So that I, I kind of took that same concept and kind of, you know, launched the Flip to Freedom Academy um, and opened it up to where now I have it's basically the, the whole program is how to quit your job in 19 weeks or less. So there's 19 different modules that go through and go through in detail on exactly how to, you know, replace your full-time income. And by the way, everybody, I've been through this um, Flip to Freedom Academy, and I've listened to almost every one of Sean's uh, podcasts, and they're absolutely incredible. You're abs- you're right. You don't hold anything back. And uh, it's, uh, you're, you know, you're doing it because you're a nice guy, but you're also making um, decent money by partnering with your students on some of these deals too, aren't you? I mean, you're um, you're actually partnering with your students and um, making it profitable for both of you guys, where both of you and your students win. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and that and that was that was the. Um you know, the kind I guess the kind of the second level of the whole um, four-hour workweek concept for real estate investors was, you know, of of where now I can literally work anywhere in the world. You know what I mean? And with a, a laptop and a phone, and I can now have people that are pretty much going through my system, you know, of learning the business. But then now, if they need coaching, they can apply to have coaching, and they can get on a waiting list or whatever. And now I work with people all across the entire country in every different market, and I basically walk them through 
different steps. I give them assignments and I walk them through and I say, okay, you got to do this and then you got to do that. And I walk them through the entire process of the first goal is this, is to get your first check as fast as humanly possible. You know, and some people are working jobs. Some people want to do this full time. So my goal is to get them through their first check, to get their first check. Once they get their first check, then it's to go out and then take it to the next level, which is to go out and um, get one year's worth of income in the bank. If you can get one year's worth of income in the bank, then you're now you have options that you can either quit your job or not, depending on you know your discussion with your family and all that type of stuff. So, so you know it's basically the whole process of taking them through from not knowing a thing about real estate or just getting started through the whole process of getting your first check and then getting going from your first check to uh, one year's worth of income in the bank. So that's what basically the coaching done. But it's allowed me to yeah. work with people and then for the first deal we I split the first deal fifty fifty with them, and so now I. You know, I've got deals that are closing all across the entire country and my local market here, um, which has been just unbelievable. I'm looking at this book right now, The Go Giver. I'm going to buy it. It looks um, <clears throat> looks really good. But that's what your philosophy has been. That's re- that's really good. I, we're running short on time. I want to ask sure. you two more questions. Um, first question is, what are some of the best ways to find motivated sellers today? And the second okay. question is, if you were to move to a new city, completely new. Um, and you had no idea about, you know, you had nothing, no family ties there. You didn't know anything about the market. Mm-hmm. What strategy would you use to start making money in that market? So, Immediately. Yeah. All right. If I was going to move to your market, the first thing I'd do, number one, is um, I would um, I would have to find out exactly what the buyers are buying and where they're buying it. Okay. okay, so I would find a good realtor there, and I'd find a good realtor at the local um, real estate investment clubs, or I'd start networking and talking to people. Um, as soon as I find a good realtor, I'd have them pull all the cash transactions for that particular county for mm-hmm. over the last ninety to one hundred and twenty days. And what that would do is that would allow me, and I'd, I'd I would try to get it in either a, a map view so I could see um, clusters of high cash transaction areas, or what I do is I get it um, in a CVS format like an Excel format that I could sort um, based upon price number one and then zip code number two. Um, so what I would do is then that would give me a good gauge of where what the tra- where the transactions are happening in the price range they're happening in. Then I'd find a good title person, um, someone that could close the, close the transactions. I would make sure that they could do double escrows. I could make sure, or other word, it's called a simultaneous close or a back-to-back close, what it's called. I'd make sure that they could do wrap agreements or wrap. Mm-hmm. They could wrap loans. I make sure they could do subject to transactions and either agreement for sale, land contracts, or um, um, the uh, the basically the, the, the whole, you know, where the title doesn't transfer. It's called land contract, agreement for sale, um, or contract for deed is what they call it, and, right. and depending on the state. So I would make sure I'd find a good title person. And, and what happens is you'd have to interview maybe three or four or five or ten. They'd have to have ten years of experience, and they'd have to know what those transactions are. If they don't know what those transactions are, then that's not the person you'd work with. So that'd be the step one. Now That's what I do in the first 48 hours is I'd be getting gathering that information. And then what I do is devise a marketing plan for a couple 
couple different things. We're marketing for buyers and we're marketing for sellers. So then first thing I do is I would set up a Google AdWords campaign, a Yahoo and uh, MSN Ad Center campaign, and those are what's called pay-per-click marketing. That's when you can pay-per-click. That's when someone searches on either Yahoo, Bing, or Google for a specific search term, my website would show up. And I would put a um, – I would put a um, – uh, pretty much uh, uh, a whole campaign set up to find buyers with around the keywords wholesale properties or fixer properties or cheap properties or or um, you know or, or ugly property whatever I'd have a, a whole campaign set up for buyers and then I'd create another whole campaign set up for sellers you know where people are searching we buy houses or sell house fast or we buy ugly houses um, so I'd have a whole campaigns in those three networks set up um, from that and have that within the next seventy two hours oh, so those and would then, be those would be squeeze pages. That would Those show would be, up in right. the sponsored results of uh, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, right? Correct. Um, and, and what, can I ask you real quick? Um, sure. What would your monthly budget be for a good campaign in a new market? Well, there's what, what Google does. It limits the amount of impressions that you get based upon your specific budget. Right. Okay. And so I'll kind of limit your budget. So what I do, you know, and obviously you have to figure out is what is the available amount of clicks in your market. So I would set my budget to a thousand dollars a day, right up, right, right to start. Okay. And what that would do, it would it would give me the one hundred percent available amount of clicks that I could possibly get and the amount of impressions that I could see, and I would let it run for, you know, for you know, two, three, four, five days or whatever, um, and see. Now, what you'll find is, is that in specific markets, is that you won't even come close. You'll hit maybe $60 a day or, you know, like in Phoenix here, which is a huge market, you know, I mean, it's, it's pushing it spending a hundred to hundred and twenty dollars a day for an ad spend. You know what I mean? And I have I, I'm at full throttle. I'm at, you know, my ads show all the time, hundred percent of the time, with um, you know, with, you know, a high a high budget, daily budget. You know, so it's 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 you know, I, I want to get all the available clicks I can possibly can. And what you'll find out is then you can start to start to kind of kind of gauge um, what your ad spend is. Now what's good about these particular companies is you can limit the amount. If you like, if you have a limited budget, then you can limit it to fifty bucks a day, or twenty bucks a day, or ten bucks a day, or whatever you'd like to do. Uh, you know, depending. So that that's what I that's what I do probably going in. So now I'd have my buyer campaign, seller campaign. I would go into. I would talk to Lance over at U.S. Leads List. I get what's called an inheritance list for that particular market, and I'd mail um, a yellow letter, which is a basically a handwritten uh, letter that says, you know, I'd like to buy your house at so and so address. It's customized. It's handwritten with a live stamp, um, and I would send that out to the inheritance list of someone who inherited properties, um, and then um, I would do that, and then I also follow up with that with a postcard, and then I do a postcard mailing to um, to absentee investors. Um, in the particular area, um, and I probably pull out a couple thousand absentee investors out of a, out of a database called List Source, and I'd search for my criteria based on the information I got from the cash transactions. I would pull loan amounts. You know, if if I you know say St. Louis and all the cash transactions were happening at fifty thousand and below, then I would pull loan amounts inside List Source at fifty thousand and below. So now any of the leads come in, I'm, I'm not getting a lead for a two hundred thousand dollar house. I'm getting a lead 
lead for a house of 50,000 and under. And then what I do is, uh, you know, start filling the calls, talking to the sellers, going on appointments. And my buyer's list is being built on autopilot through uh, through my, my PPC pay-per-click campaigns um, and then I put them together so that I'd start getting contracts I'd start in the process I would I would um, start negotiating or talking to other wholesalers in the market just in case I couldn't sell the property to my small buyers list I would network with other wholesalers and then be able to um, sell my property through their buyers list that they already have um, and that's that's how I would move properties I'd find two or three or four of the biggest wholesalers in town and I would go I would try to sell it myself first through bandit signs and in my own email list and in the contacts that I made. And if that didn't work within, you know, uh, seven to 10 days, then I would turn around and, and uh, partner with another wholesaler that has a, a list and market it through them. That's excellent. What, what do you feel is your best source for seller leads right now? Maybe your top two. Top two is, um, is uh, direct mail, like a yellow letter campaign, um, and then internet marketing hands down. Excellent. And the reason why I love internet marketing, I know you're going to say this too, is because anytime somebody Googles or types in sell my house fast or something like that or we buy houses, they are motivated, they are ready to go. And uh, those are the most important leads to call back immediately, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lead, a hot lead comes in, and um, and you know, you want to be able to be on it and be on it as uh, as fast as you possibly can, or have your assistant, whoever whoever is manning the phones, be on it as uh, as fast as they can um, to be able to call these people back and, and get deals done. And what happens is, once you start, once you put the marketing out there and you put deals out there, I mean, we closed a deal about three weeks ago that that um, actually the lead came in, the first lead came in off of Google AdWords, and I. Uh, flipped the transaction and made like $18,000. Um, and then um, that lead actually referred me to someone else to a house that I uh, um, I contracted for two twenty, dollars flipped it for two sixty-five, dollars and after closing costs and fees, made about $43,000 on. So, you know, that initial lead came from a Google AdWords campaign, you know, that someone typed in and, and I got a lead off it and, you know, got the deal on. And then that person <laughs> referred me to someone else. So just off those two transactions, Transactions, you're talking um, almost a seventy thousand dollars of just revenue off two particular deals, you know, off of maybe you know a couple hundred dollar ad spend on Google. It's excellent. <laughs> That's so good. I mean, I wish I could dive more into this, but I probably have to divide this podcast into two episodes. <laughs> um, but well, uh, you're a great interview. You ask great questions. <laughs> I love marketing. I love talking about marketing because that's the lifeblood of your business. And if you're not doing enough of it, you're not going to make any money. And um, there's many different ways to do marketing. The key is to do something. Do you mean you may not have a ton of cash? But that's okay. You can go do bandit signs. You can cold call uh, ads in Craigslist. Just call people up who have houses listed for rent in Craigslist and say, "Hey, would you like to sell your house?" Um, there's there's lots of ways. My favorite. Um, is obviously um, uh, yellow letters and, and postcards. That's what I've done for the longest time. I also subscribe to one of those services that give you leads um, on the internet. And um, it's, it's actually called House Buyer Network. How does that work? I get about 30 to 50 leads a month from them. Okay. Um, and it costs me about $620 a month. Okay. Um, I'd say 
half of the leads are even worth calling because some of them are just in areas where I don't want to touch. I mean, they have to pay me to buy the house. Right. But um, yeah, consistently I get one or two deals every month from that. It's definitely worth five, six hundred dollars you pay. Oh yeah, yeah. If you make if you make three to five thousand dollars or five thousand dollars per deal, then it's you know all day long, twice on Sunday. Well, here's the thing too with with the um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but it's just really important you call those leads back. Oh yeah, I was going to say this. A lot of times those people when they're putting their information into Google, they're going to two or three other sites, and you've got yep. to be the first one to call them back. Um, and, and be the first one to go meet with them. We just got two deals under contract last week um, from our um, House Buyer Network leads. And I'm starting to see an uptick, uh, an increase in the marketing that we're doing. We're starting to get more leads. I was talking to a guy, our friend Michael, who's at uh, yellowlettermail.com the other day. Yep. He told me he had a student who had a 25% response rate with his yellow letters. Wow. 25, which is unheard of. You're doing right. good if you get 10% with yellow letters. And uh, this guy got 25% response rate with his yellow letters. It's probably one of my guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we both refer I, a lot I, of guys to them. Yeah, I, I sent him a ton of business. So, And I and I think I recommended him to yeah. you, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. You actually referred me to him. And then I've just you know, pretty much opened up the floodgates with the guy and tried to send everybody I have. Well, his, his website is yellowlettermail.com. Right. Um, his name is Michael. Tell him that Joe referred you, not Sean. Yeah, no, you can say Joe. Yeah, say Joe. No <laughs> well, man, Sean, thank you so much. I, you, you've given up a lot of your time. I know you're super busy. Um, I want to wish you the best of success with your podcast. If people want to find out more about you, they're going to go to what? Flip2freedom.com? Is that the Yeah, I, I wrote a 129-page oh, yeah. comprehensive oh. detailed blueprint that you can get for free. Um, and it pretty much what it does, it's it's basically it's the ultimate real estate investing guide. And it's, it's, it's a guide on how to quit your job in 19 weeks or less, how to get out of the rat race, how to fire your boss, how to be done with corporate America. So what it does is it, it's 129 pages. And I pretty much detail out exactly week by week by week what you need to do to go out and quit your job. And you can get that for free um, at flip2freedom.com, flip2freedom.com. There's a uh, actually a video of me on the front page you'll see and kind of telling the story of how I got started. And, and you'll see a place you can just put your email in. Uh, just do that, and I'll send you a special link where you can download that book for free. I'm telling you guys, that ebook is probably the best ebook I've ever read in real estate. And it's free. It costs $0.00. And, zero cents. Um, and, and um, let me say something else too. I, I've bought a lot of courses on wholesaling, and I think Sean's probably is in the top one or two, maybe the top one. I don't want to blow his head up too much, but yeah, no, <laughs> the, the best courses I've ever seen on wholesaling. He goes into so much detail and just shows you how to do this stuff. I mean, he talked a lot about Google AdWords, and it sounds intimidating at first, but when you see how he does it, it's so simple and easy. Um, that's the great thing about what he does, and he's a great teacher, a great coach. And um, Sean, thanks a lot. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe, for uh, having me on. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I'm uh, excited to see your podcast rise to the top of real estate investing. To number two or number one? <laughs> Either or. <laughs> Both would be good. <laughs> then we could just trade off, you know, trade off and tell stories on the podcast every other week. You know? That sounds good, man. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right, man. Take care.